Next up, we're going to do our scripture reading. And so we're going to be reading through Daniel 2, verses 1 through 11. And if you grab one of the Red Pew Bibles, that's page 737, like the Boeing. (laughs) In the second year of the reign of Nebuchadnezzar, Nebuchadnezzar had dreams. His spirit was troubled and his sleep left him. Then the king commanded that the magicians, the enchanters, the sorcerers, and the Chaldeans he summoned to tell the king his dreams. So they came in and stood before the king. And the king said to them, I had a dream, and my spirit is troubled to know the dream. Then the Chaldeans said to the king in Aramaic, O king, live forever. Tell your servants the dream, and we will show the interpretation. The king answered and said to the Chaldeans, The word from me is firm, If you do not make known to me the dream and its interpretations, you shall be torn limb from limb, and your houses shall be laid in ruins. But if you show the dream and its interpretation, you shall receive from me gifts and rewards and great honor. Therefore, show me the dream and its interpretations. He answered a second time and said, Let the king tell his servants the dream, and we will show its interpretation. The king answered and said, I know with certainty that you are trying to gain time because you see that the word from me is firm. If you do not make the dream known to me, there is but one sentence for you. You have agreed to speak lying and corrupt words before me till the times change. Therefore, tell me the dream, and I shall know that you can show me its interpretation. The Chaldeans answered the king and said, There is not a man on earth who can meet the king's demand. For no great and powerful king has asked such a thing of any magician or enchanter or Chaldean. The thing that the king asks is difficult, and no one can show it to the king except the gods, whose dwelling is not with flesh. It's the word of the Lord. (laughs) Good morning. Thank you, David, Barda. I was thinking this morning about all the people it takes to put on a service, like this service at Regen. And I was thinking about David coming to do announcements, thinking about our worship leader, Luke, who has a badly sprained ankle from basketball that you probably couldn't tell because he's still leading worship up here. And thinking about my friend Alex uh, across the way who made me a cappuccino this morning, and it's very good. Um, But I just wanted to say just a moment of, man, there's so many people who make, who volunteer and, and come and serve and make this happen so we can gather together and sing and have coffee and have announcements. And I just want to thank all of you who do that. Amen? All these great people who do that. Um, so I, I am glad to be here this morning and continue this series um, on the book of Daniel. Uh, would, you pr- would you pray with me one more time? Let's pray before we get into this scripture and this story this morning. Father, thank you that we made it here this morning. Uh, thank you for music and worship and song. Thank you for all the things happening around this church and this community that we can jump into. Um, This morning, God, I'm reminded, God, that we are here and your spirit is with us. I'm reminded that you are with us, God, and and that you want to connect with us. You want to remind us that we're loved. You want to remind us that there's hope. Um, You want to teach us. Um, You want to live with us and guide us, God. Um, So this morning, I ask that you would open our eyes and open our ears to whatever you would speak to us. I ask that you would use um, the notes that I have here in these scripture verses, God, for your kingdom and for your glory. Um, God, may you move in our midst this morning. Um, Amen. Amen. So we get to continue this series on Daniel that Pastor Albert started last week. Who was here last week for Daniel chapter 1? 
That's all? Okay, a few more of you. Okay, um, a few of you were, yes. A few of you were here for Daniel chapter one. Um, I like, I'm excited about Daniel um, because I like a good story. Anybody with me on that? I, I like a good story. And so while there is definitely um, a love teaching through a book like Colossians that has all this meaty theology, um, for a lot of us, um, a story and a good, interesting fascinating story um, helps kind of capture our imagination and, and capture, our, capture our interest. Um, and God speaks through these incredible, beautiful, and uh, even as for a few verses, kind of crazy, um, amazing stories of God moving and of God working with people through incredible circumstances. So I'm excited to get into Daniel. Um, I'm going to tell just set, set the scene a little bit of what was going on in Daniel here. Um, it was around the 6th century B.C., about 600 years before Jesus. And Babylon was by far the empire of the day. Babylon, we'll talk about this for the next few minutes, was incredibly powerful. They had conquered the nations all around them. And when they conquered Judah, God's people, they took a first wave of exiles from Judah and they took them to Babylon. And that included Daniel and Shadrach and Meshach um, and Abednego. So they were the minority they were oppressed, they were exiles um, in this Babylonian empire, and we talked last week about the beginning of their time there in Babylon and having to wrestle with how do we obey these laws and rules that are being handed to us that we don't believe in. So if we're, to- if we're told to, to eat um, from the king's table, but we know by our tradition of following God, we don't eat that, what do we do? So in chapter one, we talked about them saying, no, we're just going to have vegetables um, and water. And that, that'll be our way to resist and to hold on to our identity um, as God's people. And that worked out really well for them. Um, as Albert and I were talking about this series, Albert said something. Um, and he said, this book is really more about God than Daniel. And he said that, and I thought, oh, okay, that's kind of a cool thing to say. All right. Um, and as I started studying it and looking at it, there really is this obvious theme. Um, it's more about what God is doing than Daniel. Um, there's this theme that echoes through every chapter of God is powerful, God is behind the scenes, and God is the one doing things um, to protect them, to make this story move forward. God is in control. In the midst of an incredibly powerful Babylonian empire, um, army, in this huge land where they lived. Um, so I want to take a moment to think about the empires in our day. Daniel was stuck in the Babylonian empire, whether he liked it or not, and that empire was incredibly powerful. What are the empires of our day, be it country or be it other kinds of organizations that intimidate us that are very powerful? I was thinking of Facebook and Google and Apple. Are they quite impressive? They are, it is quite impressive what they can do. I was thinking about Tesla. Tesla is quite impressive what Tesla has done. I was thinking about the Salesforce Tower. I mean, isn't that impressive um, what humans can build and the companies that we can build and the technology of what it can do, <clears throat> excuse me, today? I was thinking of the Golden State Warriors. I mean, an impressive company that has built up this little basketball dynasty, and some of us are quite in awe of it and watch it on the television all the time. Um, but there are all sorts of different things in our world that, that are empires. They, that are powerful, that are influential, that have values that go out, and we get sucked in and we end up in different ways kind of paying reverence to the empires, to the structures, to the power structures of our day today. 
Um, and in the middle of that, we who sit here claim that we believe in Jesus as the true God, that we believe in the values of Jesus, that we believe in the Sermon on the Mount that Jesus told, that we believe that God is behind all things, and that God, this theological idea of God being sovereign among all of that. So we live in our own version of living, of being, in a way, being exiles in, in, a, in a land, in an interesting land that has power um, that can suck us into loving and, and even worshiping at times these power structures around us. And Daniel gives us a glimpse of how do you resist that empire? How do you trust God in the middle of that? So there's this big idea this morning of trusting God or trusting the kingdom versus the empire. So I'm going to set the scene a little more about Babylon um, and I have a couple of pictures. I just verified to make sure the pictures are there. Pictures of Babylon. Um, Babylon was on, was built up on the edge of the Euphrates River. It was a huge, um, impressive city. It had a huge moat around the entire um, exterior of it. It had huge walls. And in its day, it was an incredible advancement. It was an incredibly um, difficult city to come and attack. Um, it was an incredible, beautiful, big city. And people from all over the land would come by and want to visit Babylon and see this incredible place. So I think I have two pictures. You want to look at the next picture um, that are recreations of Babylon. The, the uh, ruins are still there. Um, they are in modern-day Iraq. Um, now, Nebuchadnezzar, the king, had a lot of power. Um, he married someone, Amethyst, who was from a foreign place. It was kind of a foreign arranged marriage for power. Um, and Amethyst missed living in um, the hill country with vegetation and trees and all the greenery. And she complained and said, I don't like living here. There's no greenery in this place. So Nebuchadnezzar built what became one of the seven wonders of the ancient world, the Hanging Gardens. We have that on a picture, a recreation. So this is one of the seven wonders of the ancient world he built to make his wife happy because um, she wanted more greenery. So he built something. And in history, people from the whole world would travel and see the Hanging Gardens and then write about it and saying it was the most amazing thing they had ever seen, these beautiful hanging gardens. I'm kind of going over the top here to explain and try to get your interest that Babylon had it going on. Like Babylon had it figured out. They had the world dominated. They had the coolest garden you had ever seen. They had the power, right? They had all the wise men and astrologers. They had, they had everything. They had conquered the Assyrians. They conquered the Egyptians. They conquered Judah. And now Babylon has Daniel sitting in the middle of it trying to figure out what to do. Um, so I'm going to look at this story this morning in four parts, if you like organization and want to know where we're going. Um, part one, Nebuchadnezzar makes an impossible demand. Part two, Daniel has a plan. Part three, there's a dream, which we interpret. And then four, there is the aftermath. So part one, uh, David read most of, but I, I just kind of want to tell the story in verses one through 13. So you have this incredibly powerful king, Nebuchadnezzar, and he, it's about a year into his reign, and he is really stressed out. Like, he is just tripping. He is angry. He is stressed out. He is losing it. And he brings everyone together. Um, and it says, his spirit was troubled and his sleep left him, which is a funny way to say that he can't sleep. It says, his sleep left him. So he's an angry, stressed out, powerful king. He brings everyone together, and it says the magicians, enchanters, sorcerers, Chaldeans, he gets them all together, and he says, listen, I had a crazy dream, and I'm really stressed out, and I need you to interpret the dream. And they say, okay. And they say, oh, king, live forever. They kiss up to him. They say, oh, king, live forever. Just tell us the dream, and we'll interpret it. 
And Nebuchadnezzar, being a powerful ruler who was a little quirky, says, no, this is how it's going to work. You're going to tell me my dream, and then you're going to interpret the dream. And they say, no, how about you tell us the dream, and then we'll interpret the dream. Like, we, like we'll really do that if you just tell us the dream. And Nebuchadnezzar says, okay, if you don't tell me my dream and interpret it, quote, you shall be torn limb from limb and your houses shall be laid in ruins. So this gets very much like mob crime boss movie, you know, really fast with Al Pacino. He says, no, 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 no. You're going to tell me the dream and then you're going to interpret it or you're all going to be torn limb from limb and then I'll go ruin your houses. And they say again, no, could you please just tell us the dream and then we'll really interpret it. They go back and forth and Nebuchadnezzar says, okay, here's the thing. I can tell that you're all conspiring against me. He's a little paranoid like a lot of powerful rulers. I can tell you're all trying to get more time and you're all conspiring. You're all going to trick me. So if you don't tell me right now, I'm going to destroy all of you. And they say, nobody can do this. They actually said, no king, however powerful they are, has ever asked people to do this. So dream interpretation was a kind of a common thing in that era. And a king's dream was known to be very important. But they said, nobody has ever asked this, ever in the history. No matter what powerful king has ever asked us to do this, it is impossible. And they say in verse 11, this is interesting, they say, nobody could do this except for the gods. So they kind of admit, like, we don't really have access to God. So we can't, nobody can do that. So verse 12, the king flies into a violent rage and commanded that all the wise men of Babylon be destroyed. I want to make a first point here that power is very dangerous. Amen? Power is a very dangerous thing to hold. And often when one person or a few people have a lot of power, what comes out of that can be very dangerous. And oftentimes corruption and oftentimes evil flows out when there is so much power in the hands of a person or a kingdom. So this is the scene that is set. Okay, now we're going to look at the next part, verses 13 through 30, of what Daniel does. So they go find Daniel in 13, not to ask him anything, just to find him because he has to be executed. So it's just a normal, they're rounding everybody up, they go to find Daniel too, hey, you, you got to all be executed, you're in the group of wise men, so come here. Um, they go to find him, and Daniel now has an interesting way of interacting with this whole thing. He's very wise. So Daniel ends up in a conversation with Arioch, who is the chief executioner. Now, I want to, as a side note, if your empire has a chief executioner, you might have gotten a little off track in how you do empire, right? But they have a chief, that's a job title. He's the chief executioner, not just a normal one. He's the chief executioner. So Arioch and Daniel have a conversation, and Daniel says, okay, Arioch, buddy, like, what is going on? And Arioch explains, here's what has happened. So Daniel says, okay, like, what am I going to do? So Daniel goes in to talk to the king. He's bold. He walks right in, speaks with the king. And he says, basically, okay, king, I'm Daniel. Remember me? Okay, I'm Daniel. Here's what's up. Can you just give me a little more time, and I will go and interpret the dream? But I, I just need, like, an extension. Can you just give me an extension? You didn't give them the extension. I'd like an extension, and then I'll go take care of it. And for whatever reason, Nebuchadnezzar trusts Daniel and says, okay, I'll give you an extension. I'll give you a little bit of time to go and figure this out. So Daniel goes back to his buddies and in this chapter, it calls them Hananiah, Mishael, and Azariah. These are the same people who are actually named Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. On a side note, we were talking, there's an epic song by the Beastie Boys called Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego from the 1980s hip-hop. 
I don't condone all of the Beastie Boys lyrics, but the beats are amazing. And there's a song called Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. So Daniel goes back to Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, and he says, listen, we have to pray. And it says, actually, the, the, the verbiage is, Daniel tells them to seek mercy from the God of heaven concerning this mystery. So he goes back to them and he says, we have to pray. We have to beg God for mercy in this situation. And what I find interesting in Daniel here is, on one hand, he's very sharp and wise in how he deals with the king and Arioch and all of this. He's able to navigate all of this with a lot of just wisdom and smarts. But then when it comes down to it, he goes back to his buddies and says, we just better fall on our faces and pray and ask for mercy from God to get this interpretation. And I think it's a good combination for our lives of having that, the wisdom and that smart to navigate living in an empire and, and how to do it, but also having that realization of, really, we just need mercy from God to get through this. Some of us like to be smart, but not to go and pray and trust God in the middle of our issues. And some of us like to go pray and just hide in our closet and pray and not take some steps with some wisdom. But Daniel puts these two ideas together in, I think, a pretty interesting way. So they go back and they pray. And in verse 19, Daniel, God reveals the dream to Daniel. So Daniel has this prayer in verses 20 to 23 that I think is really beautiful. It's a prayer of thanks to God for revealing the dream. And uh, it'll be on the screen. 20 to 23. Daniel answered and said, Blessed be the name of God forever and ever, to whom belong wisdom and might. He changes times and seasons. So, so hear this part, okay? He changes times and seasons. He removes kings and sets up kings. He gives wisdom to the wise and knowledge to those who have understanding. He reveals deep and hidden things. He knows what is in the darkness, and the light dwells with him. To you, O God of my fathers, I give thanks and praise, for you have given me wisdom and might, and have now made known to me what we asked of you, for you have made known to us the king's matter. So Daniel has this beautiful prayer of thanks, but it's also a little bit subversive about the king because he points out really clearly God is the one who lets kings exist or not exist. It's God that allows that. And he also points out clearly in this chapter, this is not about me. His very prayer says, God is the one who reveals dreams. God is the one who reveals mysteries. It's not me and some special thing that I have, but God has revealed it to me. So now let's look at the dream. That's a little foreshadowing of this dream. And it's verses 31 to 35. Now it's a little long passage, so can everybody promise me that you'll, you'll stick with me and not start looking at Instagram or staring out the window for like six, you got, you, are you with me? Okay, we're going to read 31, um, actually all the way to verse 45, Okay. Now, this is a dream. Now, I thought about putting artwork of the dream, but all the artwork I found was really cheesy and kind of not cool at all. So instead, I'm going to ask you to kind of use your imagination and imagine this dream. You with me? Yeah, are we all in this? Yes? We're, we're in there. Okay. Verse 31. You saw, O king, and behold, a great image. The image, mighty and of exceeding brightness, stood before you, and its appearance was frightening. The head of this image was of fine gold, its chest and arms of silver, its middle and thighs of bronze, its legs of iron, its feet partly of iron and partly of clay. As you looked, a stone was cut out by no human hand, and it struck the image on its feet of iron and clay and broke them in pieces. 
Then the iron, the clay, the bronze, the silver, and the gold all together were broke in pieces and became like the chaff of the summer threshing floors. And the wind carried them away so that not a trace of them could be found. But the stone that struck the image became a great mountain and filled the whole earth. So this is the dream we've all been waiting for. This is what he actually dreamed. And now here's the interpretation. This was the dream. Now let me tell the king its interpretation. You, O king, the king of kings, to whom the God of heaven has given the kingdom, the power, and the might, and the glory, and into whose hand he has given, you, you, you see some of the subtext here? Even in the interpretation is Daniel is making clear, God has given you all this, just so you know. And into whose hand he has given wherever they dwell, the children of man, the beasts of the field, the birds of the heavens, making you rule over them all, you are the head of gold. Another kingdom inferior to you shall arise after you, and yet a third kingdom of bronze, which shall rule over all the earth. And there shall be a fourth kingdom, strong as iron, because iron breaks to pieces and shatters all things. And like iron that crushes, it shall break and crush all these. And as you saw the feet and toes, partly of potter's clay and partly of iron, it shall be a divided kingdom. But some of the firmness of iron shall be in it, just as you saw iron mixed with the soft clay. And as the toes of the feet were partly iron and partly clay, so the kingdom shall be partly strong and partly brittle. As you saw the iron mixed with soft clay, so they will mix with one another in marriage, but they will not hold together, just as iron does not mix with clay. And in those days of those kings, the God of heaven will set up a kingdom that shall never be destroyed. Nor shall the kingdom be left to another people. It shall break in pieces all these kingdoms and bring them to an end, and it shall stand forever, just as you saw that a stone was cut from a mountain by no human hand, and that have broken pieces the iron, the bronze, the clay, the silver, and the gold. A great God has made known to the king what shall be after this. The dream is certain, and its interpretation sure. Can I just look at the ending part? The dream, like Daniel interprets it to the king, this incredibly powerful king, and at the end he says, the dream is certain, and its interpretation sure. This is like mic drop, like boom, there you go, king. Now, we could spend a couple hours debating about who these kingdoms were. We know it was the Babylonian king is the top of the gold. And then we have some Medes and some Persians, maybe some Roman Empire built in. We could spend hours and hours talking about it. But the point is really clear. King, your kingdom's going to end. Like, it's going to be destroyed. Someone else will have another kingdom. Not quite as good. There'll be another kingdom. There'll be another kingdom. But eventually, there will be a kingdom of God that will come. And that will be the only kingdom that will never end. Amen? That will be the only kingdom that won't be broken, that won't shatter. Empires, whether it be a country, whether it be a company, whether it be anything cool around us, they will come and they will go. They will be here and they will impress us and they will entice us and they will sometimes influence us, but they will come and they will go. Even in that day, we'll read in a couple chapters of how uh, Nebuchadnezzar's son was there one day and then his empire was gone the next day. We live in a day today with way more powerful weapons than they had back then. And empires can come and empires can go very quickly. Um, it reminds me of Psalm 20, verse 7. Some trust in chariots and some in horses, but we will trust in the name of the Lord our God. As we live this life, we are tempted to trust in all sorts of empires around us, to trust that that empire will protect us, that we can find hope or value or meaning or identity in all kinds of empires 
that are all around us. But there is only one kingdom that will never end. This kingdom of the one true God, the most high God. This kingdom that has perfect values that God has given us. Think about the Sermon on the Mount. Think about the fruit of the Spirit. These values that God has given us in his kingdom that are good values that never end. Look at the Look at the aftermath here, verses 46 to 49. Now, if I was Daniel, Daniel's actually, I think, a lot braver than me. But if you would go to a king and interpret the dream and say, yeah, the interpretation is your kingdom is going to end, and another kingdom and another end, but eventually there will be a real kingdom that will come. But that's the interpretation of your dream. Oh, great Nebuchadnezzar who was about to slaughter everybody who was wise around you. Daniel tells him that, and then in verse 46, Then King Nebuchadnezzar fell upon his face, and paid homage to Daniel, and commanded that an offering and incense be offered up to him. The king answered and said to Daniel, Truly, your God is God of gods and Lord of kings, and a revealer of mysteries, for you have been able to reveal this mystery. Then the king gave Daniel high honors and many great gifts, and made him ruler over the whole province of Babylon, and chief prefect over all the wise men of Babylon. Daniel made a request of the king, and he appointed Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego over the affairs of the province of Babylon. But Daniel remained at the king's court. So that, that beautiful, those hanging gardens, that picture I showed, one of the seven wonders of the ancient world. They somehow pumped water from the Euphrates River, somehow up, way up high um, in the middle of this big building, and they made a huge hanging gardens just for his wife could be happy. All of that stuff, not that long after this, was all burned and destroyed down to the ground. It was done. It was just over because these things, they just, they come and they go. Um, This is a way smaller scale, but I realized the other day that I have a little bit of this in in my own life. The last few years, um, through some community work with Oakland Leadership Center, I got to know my city council person and got to know the the, the whole staff pretty well and got to work with them on things and go to meetings at City Hall where I kind of felt cool. Like I got to go to City Hall and sit in a real meeting room and like talk about things with city council people. It felt really special. Um, and got to kind of be on a first-name basis with staff and be able to call about things, and they would give me Warriors tickets for things, and it was, you know, kind of fun. Um, and I built this friendship up over time with, like, our city council person, which was a big deal in my head. Like, our, they have power, and I could influence things, and when things went weird in my neighborhood with, with police or with residents, I could call them and say, hey, can you do this? And they would actually look into it. Um, and then the other day, there was an election, and then the election happened, the person I wanted to actually win didn't win, who was a friend of mine, and somebody else won. And then that person gave me Warriors tickets for Oakland Leadership Center out of the blue, which I was surprised. And I went down to City Hall, I was excited to get my Warriors tickets and see my, my friends and, you know, be like, hey, you know. And I realized they're all gone. <laughs> like, I spent years getting to know these people and, like, talking to them and, have, you know, sitting and having coffee and, like, helping them with things and helping, helping me with things. And I, I was like, I had this little bit of, of something, right? I was kind of cool with my city council staff, and I knew them all. I had their cell phone numbers, and they're just gone. Like, the election happens, and all those, like, they're all just, they're just, they're not there, and nobody knows me. <laughs> so I went in to get my tickets, and I'm like, oh, oh, nobody knows who I am. And they're like, who are you? I'm like, I'm Nate. Like, I get tickets. Like, <laughs> and they just look at me like, we don't know who you are. We have no idea who you are. And I'm emailing with the guy, and he's like, we actually need to know who's going. I need a full name of who will go. He's use the Warriors tickets. I'm like, nobody ever asked me for that. You don't trust me. But like this little regime was there and I thought it was cool, you know what I mean? That I, and they're just, boom, they're gone. It, it's, it's done. And we, and we get so hung up on 
grabbing onto a little bit of power in our life or a little bit of, of something and we hold on to it. Whether it's the kingdom of America we get seduced by or the place we work or the Salesforce tower we drive by, whatever it is that says, I'm important, like bow to me, those things are going to pass. The Salesforce tower will fall down at some point. And at some point, America will not be a big empire anymore. But we serve a God who is everlasting. Amen? We serve a God who is everlasting, who deserves our worship, who reveals mysteries, who is greater than kings and greater than empires and greater than companies and greater than technology. That's the king that we serve. So can we trust the kingdom of God over all the empires in our world that will eventually burn? So I have a few questions for reflection, and we'll move into a time of worship in a moment. Um, but three questions I'd like to ask you as we move into a time of worship and then communion. What empire or kingdom has your allegiance today? What empire or kingdom has your allegiance, or maybe is trying to get your allegiance today? And who or what seems so powerful that it intimidates us or controls us? What is so powerful in your world that it just intimidates you and you're a little bit scared of it? What is that thing? It might not be a company, it might be your neighbor. But what is that thing in the world that seems so big and powerful that it, it scares you or drives you? Then another question, who or what informs our worldview? The kingdom of God or the empires? What informs how you view the world and what your values are? So this morning we'll move into a time of, of prayer um, and worship. And this morning we have an opportunity to take communion, to remember the sacrifice of Jesus, the true Savior and the true King who died for us to remember the body and the blood of Jesus that were given for us. So during this worship set, whenever you're ready, you may come and take um, communion. The elements are in the front um, and in the back. Also, take this as a time to reflect and to pray about our lives, about the empires, and about the kingdom um, of God. I'm going to pray for us, and we'll move into a time of worship. God, in this moment, remind us that your kingdom is good, that your kingdom is trustworthy, that we can trust in you and your ways and in your values and in your strength and in your might, God, as we're tempted to trust in so many other things that are around us. God, in this moment, would your spirit speak to us? Would your spirit guide us? Um, as we worship you, as we take communion, and as we reflect. In Jesus' name, amen.